You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter and we think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, let me add my welcome to Steph's uh, and say it's good to have you here, particularly if you are new or newish or you're just here checking out the space. Um, my name's Joel. I'm one of the, the co-pastors alongside Steph here. Um, and as Steph said, we're, we're in season of creation. Who follows or has been in a church that follows the church calendar? Is that a concept that's familiar to people? We have one hand. Okay, okay, a few, a few people. Thank you, thank you. Um, does anyone have no idea what a church calendar is? Okay, there we go. Let, let's, let's start there. Um, many of us, particularly if you're raised in Sydney, um, we, we're what you call low church, which is we kind of took tradition and threw it all out the window and then made up our own way of doing it. Yeah, sorry. Harris, uh, yeah, maybe, um, but we, it was just much more relaxed, um, which is the style of church that we normally are in here. Like, we're, we're fairly chilled. We kind of go with the flow. Um, the other end of the spectrum is high church, which is where there's lots of standing up and sitting down and liturgy and reading off the same thing together. There's smells, robes, all, all that style of church. So they're, they're kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Typically, your high churches, they use this thing called the church calendar. That's where that fits in. Um, and everyone around the world does the same reading, or specifically three readings, uh, one Old Testament, one New Testament, and one Psalm. They do it all together. Uh, most of the Catholic Church does this. Most of the Anglican Church does this. You Lutheran Church. Like, most Christians around the world follow this church calendar, and they're all doing the same thing at the same time. Uh, yeah, that, isn't that interesting? Um, uh, you, you can either love it or you hate it. I think there's great beauty in it. Um, and we typically don't stick, stick with it, but come season of creation, September, we're like, let's do it. Let's join with everybody else, um, you know, follow the crowd, as it were, and jump on board. So September is season of creation. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, it should be nice. Um, Tonight, uh, I'm not going to talk for too long. Um, we're going to do some reflecting, sitting, some breathing, some sitting in scripture together. Um, next week, uh, Steph is going to talk about the way creation worships, which is, I'm looking forward to that, looking at how many times in the Bible it talks about creation doing the worship, not, not people. Um, and then the week after, we're going to look at creation care as a matter of justice. We're going to dive into that. Um, and then on the last week, this is the last weekend of September, um, we're going to go to the beach. Doesn't that sound lovely? Um, so rather than a Sunday gathering in here, um, we're going to, I'm not sure where yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll meet. And because our, our usual rhythm is on the last Sunday of each month, we do something slightly different, um, be it a retreat or a birthday party or whatever. But last week of September, we're going to go to the beach together. So yeah, that, that's, that's the plan. Um, but tonight, um, we're going to dive into, and, and I, I want to just introduce this idea of season of creation. Um, and to do that, I want us to look at some developmental psychology. 
Yeah, exciting stuff. Has anyone heard of the great Jean Piaget? Yes, um, David, educator. We have some educators in the room, clearly. Um, Jean Piaget. Piaget was a Swiss developmental psychologist, made, like really popular in the 60s, 70s. I think he died in the 80s. Um, but he, he really transformed how we understand psychology, particularly developmental, and that is like kids learning stuff. Um, does anyone know what, what Piaget's big concept was? The theory of cognitive stages. Um, anyway, there, there, there's, uh, this, this is what I teach at uni, um, and it's lame, but also super fascinating. So I'm just going to like nerd out over here and enjoy it. Um, Piaget came up with this idea that you can, you, you can learn in two different ways. There's only two. Two different ways that you can learn something. The first one is called assimilation. This might sound like, feel like a big detour, but we'll get back to creation, I promise. Um, the first one is assimilation. Now, uh, assimilation is where you, you learn something new and you add it to a category that you already have. So uh, the classic explanation of this is a child uh, sees a dog and the dad says, that's a dog. And then it sees a dog that is a different color. This time the dog's black and white. And the child says, what is that? And the dad says, that's also a dog. And then the child sees a red, reddish dog. And the mum says, that's also a dog. And the child has learned the category dog. And so it keeps adding new different types of dogs. And then it sees a cat. And it says, it's a dog. Because it's got fur, it's got eyes, it's got a nose, it's on four legs, um, and it's, it's obviously a dog. And we look at that and we say, you're foolish. It's not a dog, it's a cat. And so the child at that point has to create a whole new category called cat. Something happened there. Um, the, the child at that point has to create a whole new category. Now, assimilation is when you just take new pieces of information and add it to your categories. When you have to create a whole new category, that's called accommodation. So assimilation, accommodation. Assimilation, adding new bits to your categories, accommodation, creating whole new categories. Now, it's not just children who have to accommodate. Uh, adults, we, we accommodate a lot, but less so. So an example is when you're 15, 16, you start learning about different ways of doing society. It's typically once you've developed some sort of abstract thinking that you're able to think communism is a thing. That's a whole new category that you, you at one point learnt. Um, and you had to create this whole new structure. And you said, oh, democracy is not the only way. Um, monarchy is not the only way of structuring life. You, like we had to learn that at some point and we had to create, um, up until fairly recently, um, in fact, lots, lots of people in society would still say gay marriage, it's, it's not a category. Like, it's, it's just not there. Like, it's, there's, there's no such thing. And so uh, people can't really come at this idea because there's no category that holds it. And so they can only work with the categories. Is this making sense? Uh, we, we think in terms of categories. Adding a new category as you get older is really hard to do. So when you're a child, it's like, oh, categories everywhere. I'm learning all these different things. And I have to put boxes in places and put things in the boxes and I'm assimilating, I'm accommodating all over the place. As you get older, yeah, you, you learn to assimilate, but by and large, 
uh, it gets harder and harder to create whole new boxes. That, that's a problem that we have as part of the human race. It just sucks, but hey, let's just call it that. That's where we're at. Let's work with it. Um, there is uh, a, a, like a, a trend within humanity where we hate not having categories. We need categories for everything, uh, which is why it's so important that we understand how assimilation, accommodation works. We understand how to have good dialogue. Um, but also, it helps us because if we have something in the wrong category, that's when we have cognitive dissonance. So if you ever sat in therapy and somebody says, oh, it feels like you're having cognitive dissonance, typically it's because something in your life is in the wrong category. You're trying to be a really good person, but it's actually that you have a really low self-esteem. And so you've got a wrong category sort of thing going on here. Um, this is what I just talk about constantly with people. Um, it's quite confronting, isn't it, now that I say it out loud. Um, there's, in that though, one emotion within the whole, the whole psychosocial emotional range of humanity, there's one emotion in which we love not having the right category. There's one in which we love the fact that we can't accommodate. There's my little teaser. Does anyone think they know what it is? Don't say what it is. But does anyone... We have maybe... Elky things, maybe, maybe an idea. Okay, there's one emotion where we love not being able to accommodate and we, we love that feeling. That's where we're heading tonight because I think we need to capitalize on it more and it's awesome. Um, okay, picture Thomas and I uh, in Europe. We're wandering around. Uh, I want to go into every single church that we come across because they're spectacular. You walk in and instantly your eyes are drawn up into this vaulted ceiling. You go past the stained glass windows of goodness knows how many saints. And there up in the ceiling is this spectacular, awe-inspiring view where you just, your breath is taking. You're like, wow. Has anyone felt that before? Yeah. Um, has anyone been to the Taj Mahal before? Spectacular, isn't it? That is probably the only tourist attraction I've ever been to that I would say all of the hype leading up to it was dull. Because when I actually got there, I was like, oh, no, you were right. This is spectacular. And you look at it, and even from kind of 200 metres away where you start at the entrance, it just takes your breath. And, it's and as you get closer and closer, you start to see that this enormous structure is actually made up of millions of tiny little tiles. And the Quran is just imprinted around the whole thing. And it's, it's uh, dazzling to look at. It's, it's breathtaking, isn't it? Um, the feeling that we love to have is the feeling of awe. That, that's our feeling that we have. Awe, uh, according to... Uh, behavioral scientists who started studying this, only, like, it's only been about 15 years that people started, as psychologists, looking into the feeling of awe. Um, awe is made up of two things. This is the last little kind of psych area that we're in. Um, awe is made up of two things. The first one is a, a perception of vastness. A perception of vastness. That is, I look at this and it feels big. Now, it doesn't have to be uh, physically large. 
although that's how it often is. Um, it can also be extraordinarily minuscule. So you look through a microscope and you, it's the perception of vastness in that there is so much going on here in this little tiny thing. Or it could be uh, a perception of vastness in time. Has anyone tried to imagine eternity? Uh, and it's just, you cannot do it because it just keeps going and going. So the first one is the perception of vastness. The second one, when it comes to awe, is the, the need to accommodate and the inability to accommodate. That's what awe is. It's this feeling that something is so big that I, I, I don't have the categories. I don't, I, I cannot grasp, I don't have the boxes. There's nothing that I can look around at in life and say, this is where it fits. This is the category where I can neatly place this. Or as a feeling, um, it, it transforms us a little bit inside. Um, when you look at something vast and you feel like you don't have the categories for it to go in and you feel like, you, what, what goes on for you in your body? Try, try and picture it now. Is anyone able to kind of picture what goes on? For me, it sits around here. It's like the best way I could describe it the other day was a bubble in my chest. It's like, oh, um, we often talk about taking our breath away because for a moment we physically can't quite breathe because we forget to because our brain is taken up. Um, it, it takes our whole body into another space just for a moment. Um, or as, a, as, a, uh, as an experience within the kind of human psychosocial range, um, people who experience or regularly, get this, uh, people who experience or regularly, they have better health outcomes. So they're more likely to uh, report being pro-social um, and they're more likely to be pro-social. So they, they typically function within society in a different way and received as better by society. Um, they're more likely to be humble on the, the scale that they use to, to score humility, if you will. Um, uh, their blood pressure is better. Um, they're less likely to experience arthritis, um, less likely to experience diabetes, um, and we think, I mean, we're in early days, um, and I say we as though I'm any part of this, like I'm just reading a bunch of people. Um, people think that it's, it's causal. So it's not, you know, you have lower diabetes, therefore you experience awe more. It's the other way around. It's you experience awe, and because you experience awe regularly, you naturally have a better way of going about the world that causes better health outcomes. How cool is that? This feeling of awe, it, it changes us a little bit. Um, people who experience awe regularly uh, typically report feeling smaller. And psychologically, that's a good thing. We, we want people to feel small, not in an insignificant, uh, self-deprecating way, but in a connected, holistic way. People feel like the world isn't on their shoulders because the world is so vast. People feel like they can connect with other people because it feels healthy. And it doesn't matter if they screw it up because the waves will keep rolling, as Pete said. There is connectedness that will keep on going. 
this feeling of awe is so healthy. Now, I, I want to make a suggestion, um, and that is uh, Christians, Christians are primed to experience awe more than most people. That, that's, that's a theory that I want to put out there tonight. Christians are primed to experience awe more than the rest of the population because every week we gather together and we encourage one another to remind one another that there is a God out there who is big. And so every week it's part of our vocabulary that there is a big God such that whenever we look up to the stars, if you identify as any any matter of Christian, kind of as, as broad as it gets, whenever, whenever people look up to the stars and our breath is taken away by the billion light years that are out there and we struggle to find the right categories, we, like we cannot accommodate, we look at that, we look at the universe and everything that we can possibly see and our next breath is something like, but there's more. There's something even bigger than that. Or we look out at the ocean and we see a sunset and our breath is taken by how big it is. And one of our ideas that we sit with as a community is there's a God who painted that. That's spectacular. Or we look at the mitochondria of a cell and we zoom into the absolute minuscule of the minuscule and at, like where our brains are blown away by how vast and glorious this little thing is and we, we don't have the category for it and somewhere in the back of our minds we can say, and there is a God who holds that in their hands. Like that, that is... That is vastness upon vastness upon vastness. Like that, that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we start talking about categories, it becomes impossible, impossible to put that God in categories because we can't even put the creation in categories. That just blows my mind. That blows my mind. Um, so I, I am sitting with this idea, and I've been sitting with this idea this week, that we should be chasers of awe. That should just be what Christians are. Like, I, I identify as a Christian, which means I chase awe. I just, I'm blown away constantly. Which means I'm less likely to get diabetes, by the way. Like, that, that, that's, that's a nice little fact, as, as a little side thing. Um, uh, I want to also just make a little caveat here. I think often um, the rhetoric that many of us have sat with is that God being awe inspiring has been associated with God being controlling or God being something we should fear. I actually think that's the wrong category at this point. Um, that, that's where we get the dissonance. I actually think that the kind of the scientific behavioral science version of awe is far better there. God is uh, beyond comprehension, therefore inspires awe. I, I think that's a much safer place for me to sit, at least, when, when I picture God we had a really beautiful conversation in our community group the other night um, where we were just sharing around Colossians 1. Um, and one of the things that I just felt like the whole group we, we agreed on was there wasn't much in there that we all were excited about, 
But one person in the group said, but I'm excited about the idea that God lasts for all eternity past and all eternity future. Um, that blows my mind. And I was like, yeah, that's really nice. And you sort of saw the group go, yeah, that's true. Like there is, there is this awe around God. And I don't want to lose that. I want, I want, to, I want to experience that. Um, is that making sense? That was a really big detour to say we're going to read um, Psalm 19 and Job 38. Um, and as we do so, I'm going to invite you just to sit with your eyes shut or your eyes open, um, take deep breaths, um, and I'm going to read some of these passages that just go through elements of creation. Um, and I'm going to invite you just to picture where there is awe in this. And as you do so, um, think about what's going on in your body. Um, think about the vastness of God. And after we've done this, and this is where we'll, we'll close at some point, I'm going to ask you, where do you experience awe? And I would love it if a few people could share. Um, I would love it if we could get as many ideas as possible. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me read some of these passages. Breathe deep as we go through. In the book of Job, God approaches Job after an absolute whirlwind and roller coaster. And he says to Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the earth's dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of earth? What is the way to the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? Can you, can you take me to their places? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of 
war and battle? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain or a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who, Who fathers the drops of dew from whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of God's hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Take a few deep breaths. I want to be an awe chaser in creation. Um, I want that to be something that defines me. How are we feeling? Okay. Um, take a little shake. Um, and I want to hear from you. Um, where do you experience awe? Uh, where what what is something within creation where you don't have the categories and it feels particularly vast? What is it? Don't overthink it. Yell it out. People, sunsets, and people. People at sunset. It's the dream. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. It's 
rainbows early in the morning. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it, except for the morning part. Not a big morning person. Um, where else? Where, where do you experience awe? Other galaxies. Other galaxies. Yeah. Gosh, that, that Webb, is it Webb? James Webb Space Telescope, like that, and that photo that came out, and then somebody pointed out that all the ones with the little, uh, the little like, Xs on them, they're the stars, everything else is a galaxy. Cool, like, uh, I cannot comprehend that. Becky has said the ocean, yes. Um, and I would add any, any big body of water for me. I'm just like, ah, yeah. The ocean at night, yeah, yes. Mountains, oh yep, yep. And you're in Kazakhstan, you would have seen some stunning mountains. Yep. Yes, swimming out towards the moon and an ocean at night. Yes, Uh, yes. Uh, uh, I've got ideas here. Um, uh, Where where else do you experience awe? New City? Joe and Pete's cabin in the mountains, yeah, Lura, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, it's breathtaking, yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah, yeah. Um, that moment where you, like, break through the clouds and it's suddenly sunny. Oh, it's the... Art galleries, yes, yes. Holding a newborn baby. Oh, yep, yep. (laughs) Octopuses was Sammy's contribution. Um, Yes. No, they're brilliant. That My Octopus Teacher show, that was creepy, but also interesting. Yeah. Reading a book. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. A gospel choir, yes. Um, Becky and Yen are in a gospel choir, and I know that they're putting on a concert towards the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, which we're all going to, by the way. Yep. Where else do you experience that? It's that feeling of vastness, and I just don't have a category for this. Where else do you experience that? Uluru, yes, hugely. And that is, like, we do acknowledgement of countries, but and often I think about that, and you look at it and you say, I see how people have had a spiritual connection to this place for millennia. Like, that, that makes sense. That uh, One word that we often use in replace of awe is transcendence. I was going to say, that was in my notes, I never said it. So if that's helpful for you, feel free to use that word as well. Um, where, what else? Under the sea. Yeah, yes. It's just, and it's silent as well. So like your senses are like dulled and sharpened at the same time, just taking it all in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The learning about cultures that are different and old and ancient and, um, yeah. 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 I wonder if there's something to be said for, like, the knowledge that there is so much knowledge out there. I just felt really, like, inadequate. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, wow. Yep. Yeah. Oh, just the color, the magnitude of it, and the fact that it's made up of sand. Like, itty-bitty little things, just lots of them. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. That is wild. That's mind-boggling. Just the, like that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Sue said geological time, like to, to hold a fossil that's 60 million years old. Um, and to hold it and be like, yeah, like in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's kind of just popped up at like three seconds to midnight. That, yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's something remarkable about it. Yeah. Okay. I would hate to go in a cave, but I recognize that it would be stunning, and I wish I could. It's God's creation, like spiders. Yeah. (laughs) Any others? Yes. I don't even understand what you just said. But yeah, like the so there's there's particles somewhere in the realm of existence that are doing stuff until they're looked at. And then they change doing whatever they're doing because they're looked at. Yeah, wow. Quanting, quantum mechanics and something something duality. Yeah, wow. Social worker. Um that is mind-boggling. Subatomic particles obviously don't follow Newton's laws of physics. Um, ne- never heard of Newton. Um, they're like, no way. Um, uh, this is, I, I love it. Does anyone have any others? Any others? <laughs> Matt, I loved your contribution. Food is also great. <laughs> the, the human body. Yeah, yeah. We just don't have categories. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, so we, we are just like listing things that we don't have categories for. And most of the time when we don't have categories, we hate it. But when it comes to this kind of thing, like, like all, serotonin is jumping out and we've got cortisol going down and dopamine is spiked. Like it's so good for us. And we can sit there and say, God is big. Like above all of these things, that for me is, is the takeaway as we jump into season of creation. I love that. I love that. Um, my challenge for myself, feel free to jump on board, is over this September season of creation, how, how are you chasing awe? Um, what does that look like for you 
Um, and if, it, if it's where you're at in your journey, connect that to God in some way. Um, how, how are you chasing God? Maybe um, you can take three of the things, of the 20 million things that we just said, hey, and um, do them. Uh, find them. Ch- chase that awe and bigness. Um, we, we get to go to the pub after this. Um, I reckon we should just keep making the list, make it bigger, um, and eventually we'll have a whole atlas of, of awe. David. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, it, that is just another job for me, David. So, um, the Psalms that everyone wrote last week, which were absolutely stunning, um, it would be really nice to compile them. Um, maybe if you're happy to, you could chuck it up on the Facebook group or uh, text it to David and... <laughs> Like, it would be lovely just to compile them, so that way they're there um, uh, and, you know, store them and send them around. Um, does anyone have anything else to say as we wrap up? There's much more ore to be chased. Um, can I hand over to you? I'm going to hand over to the video. Um, enjoy watching this as a reflection similar to what we did as we went through those Bible passages. Um, this is by uh, an organization called The Work of the People. It's um, just beautiful images set to a poem to help us think about creation as a cathedral that is awe-inspiring. Enjoy. Enjoy.